That's good. Place to go. How's everyone doing today? God's good, isn't he? Who wants more of the Holy Spirit? I just want so much more of the Holy Spirit. You know, we went this week, we went to go and see Phil and Emily and the Colmans down in Penzance, which is great. And it's only like 1,800 miles away, so that's really good. Because of the fuel prices, it costs, well, it was, we had to remortgage our house, didn't we, to get down there. Um, but, you know, like, we've got, um, it's kind of an interesting picture. I was just thinking about it as we were just worshipping, just like um, our brake pads are gone completely, right? So in order to brake, you have to brake, you have to kind of preempt the road. You need the spirit of prophecy to drive our car. You kind of have to know what's going to come around the corner because you need to brake about two minutes advance of needed to stop. And some of you are worried about that. Just don't park next to us and you'll be fine, okay? Um, but it is kind of brutal at the moment, and like our brakes are shot, and so I've got to sort that out. And then just as we were going, I filled the car with fuel, and uh, I did the air pressure and realized that the right tire was pretty flat. And it didn't matter how much air I was putting in, it just wasn't filling up. So you might call me a reckless, irresponsible driver, call me what you want, but it wasn't my idea to keep going, it was Louise's idea to keep going. I said, Lou, I think we're going to have to change our tires. And she says, really? She says, well, is it like proper flat, flat? I was like, no, there's about three centimeter clearance on the tire. And she was like, oh, that'll be fine. <laughs> and you know, I was just thinking, like, in worship just now, I mean, I wasn't, like, I wasn't just trying to highlight how sinful my wife was. I was just <laughs> trying to help you understand. I was just thinking how, like, it's funny how, like, we can go that distance with dodgy brake pads, and we can go that distance with dodgy tires. But without fuel, we we can't leave the car park. And I was just thinking about, and it sounds quite cliche, I guess, to draw an analogy on the Holy Spirit, but it's kind of like the Christian life. It's kind of like, I think in some ways it's possible to survive life with the Word of God. Um, the Word of God is precious, of course, and, you know, in Christian community. But there's something about the Holy Spirit that isn't just a nice additional option, like fringe to the Christian life, just like, if I feel like it, then I'll welcome him kind of scenario. He's like literally the critical fuel you need in your soul to just like get through the day sometimes, just to like bark on the school run, okay? I don't want to make it too spiritual. I'm not talking about preaching and going to the ends of the earth just yet. I'm just talking about getting through your breakfast routine with your kids or, you know, at home with yourself if you're a bit of a snoozer. I just think like, you know, just to navigate this life and go beyond navigating to a point where you're not just surviving, but you're flourishing, you're thriving, you're, you're kind of moving to a space of bountiful, vibrant growth, and just how the Holy Spirit is, you know, and I guess I want to preface anything I say this morning, because to be honest, I've got like a dodgy little notepad, um, so I, I can't be completely responsible for everything I say. Well, I have to be responsible for everything I say. Let me just repeat this. That I don't have lots of notes, but there's just this sense that I, I just think what I want to communicate today is the paramount importance of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it, it's kind of an interesting picture, because just in the same way right now, there's a crazy cost to fuel. Like, I remember when I started driving, it, it cost me like 89p a litre, right? Yeah, come on. I've never heard such a Pentecostal kind of point of agreement. Come on. Well, there, there we go. When you first came to England, and now you're considering going back to France, I guess, right? No, not at all. <laughs> Doesn't matter how expensive it gets here. I ain't going back to France, that's for sure. I'll tell you what. Um, but it's almost like what it is, it's over double the cost now, um, and I think it's an interesting picture because, like, if you want to move in life, there's a cost. And the Holy Spirit 
totally is, uh, it's, he's a person, so it's not an it, and it's not just an invisible force. It's part of, he's part of the Godhead. He's a person of the Godhead. But actually, there's certain things that we must do. It's not like purchasing the Holy Spirit, but the sacrifice required. It's a pursuit of holy living. It's a pursuit of, of how do we posture ourselves to become a helipad, if you like, for the Holy Spirit to land in our life. Because the Holy Spirit is drawn to godliness. The Holy Spirit is drawn to hunger. So, you know, if, if for you, your Christian life is more nominal, then you're just like, well, you know, we go to church, tick, and that's the extent of it, then I don't think you can truly expect the Holy Spirit to come upon you in power. Because the Holy Spirit comes upon a people who are totally hungry and obsessed with the purposes of God and the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying you don't have duff days and bad days and lazy days. I'm not saying that you're just like Jesus Mark II hovering around Magna Academy. But there's this innate, deep kind of hunger, thirst, appetite, which is just like, God, whatever you want, I want. Whatever you want from me, I'll give to you. Lord, just more of your Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he moves in power and he emboldens us. And he refreshes us and he regenerates us. Because without the Holy Spirit, really, this is just a rotary club. <laughs> Sorry, I just spat everywhere. But it just made me laugh. Um, and again... It's the wrong mic for me, I guess, because, like, no one's going to want to preach down this mic at the end of the service. But, like, you know, just relatively okay people. I'm not even going to say you're super good. Just okay people kind of just wanting to do nice things for the country. But with the Holy Spirit, we become a dynamic, vibrant movement of saints, of believers who hunger after Jesus, who seek after his kingdom, who put first his righteousness, his holiness, and just contend for the promises of God. And, and really... Um, I just want to just put that out there, and I want to drop that into your soul as we kind of kick off our new series. It's going to be a 10-week series on uh, the orchard. And you're thinking, what are we talking about? So open your Bibles to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Oh, and actually, you know what? Before I do this, we've got a special guest here today. Let me go and get this special guest. Are you ready for this? You're, are you intrigued? Are you intrigued? Right, come out. Right, you have to say, come out, Lizzie. You have to say, come out, Lizzie. Come out, Lizzie. <laughs> hey, hey. I don't know what to do with it now. That's awkward. <laughs> I think that's a life-size cutout, isn't it? Amazing, beautiful woman. Excellent. Richard, being from South Africa, doesn't really understand my obsession with the Queen, but I love the Queen so much. Pray for the Queen regularly. She's like my grandma. She's amazing. Keep going, Liz. Awesome. Doing a good job. Anyways, I don't know what to do with that now. I was just at uh, Matt and Naomi Crab's wedding yesterday, and they, um, they had this, didn't they, in the reception, wherever Louise is, and I was like, she needs to come to church tomorrow. Definitely. We need to have Queen Elizabeth in our service. So I'll just put it over here. I don't know why, but I'm thinking that maybe you might want a photo with that, like photobomb the queen and Instagram it. It's a pretty cool thing to do, and just pretend that it's the real thing, because on pictures it looks quite good, to be fair. Um, not that me and Louise were taking stacks at home last night. We weren't, honestly. We weren't. It's funny, at Matt and Naomi's wedding yesterday, um, uh, Richard was preaching, and he did something that I thought was really cool. He got everyone to take out their phones and set it to 12 minutes. It's like set an alarm in 12 minutes' time, so he was accountable to the length of his message. He had a 12-minute window, and he got everyone in the room to set it to 12 minutes, and uh, I was sat next to Josh Goldenberg, and he was like, this is a great idea for us, Dom, at Sunny Hill. So I thought, okay, well, let's use it. So get your phones out and set it to two hours, please. That'd be 
No, you don't have to, really. Um, uh, yesterday, just on the car, I like sharing some funny things before we jump into some serious, intense stuff. Um, <laughs> on the way in this morning, it's so funny. Richard and Charmaine are at this glorious kind of season now where their oldest child is old enough and mature enough and responsible enough to look after the other two kids. Just a, a beautiful season to be in. Like, I'm not wishing time away, but I look forward to it. Like, and, and CJ kind of came out like a middle-aged woman, ultimately. That's a horrible way to phrase it. But she's always been responsible and always been mature. But yesterday, another level, like all day, while Richard and Charmaine were at the wedding, CJ was looking after Toby and Charlie. And um, I said to Richard on the way in, I said, how did it go? And he said, oh, it's amazing. He said, they were fine. And we called her, and they were already all in bed. And she was asleep, and this was at about half eight, nine. So they woke her up. Like, how many people are praying for a CJ in their life? Like, literally, like, please, Lord. And, and, and it was so funny because he says, and we got home and all the dishes were done and the flat was immaculate. And I said, Caleb. <laughs> I said, are you listening to this, Caleb? I wrote down his response because I thought it was kind of precious and something he'll be grounded for this week. He says, yeah, but Dad, even you couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, fair point. So before I do child guilt, I maybe need to kind of assess my own plank in my eye before I expect my 11-year-old to pull that out of the bag. He was like, yeah, Dad, even you couldn't do that, though, to be fair. I was like, yeah, all right, touche. All right, Galatians 5, verse 16. This is Paul writing to a church 2,000 years ago. He says, say, so I say, live by the Spirit. What's the context? He's speaking about freedom in Christ. You see that in the subheadings, a couple of ones beforehand. At the beginning of chapter 5, halfway through chapter 5, he gets onto the theme of life by the Spirit. And he kind of is making a compelling argument here. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There is a war going on inside of you, and we talk about it quite a bit. A war of the Spirit and a war of the flesh. One that is calling you to godliness and one that is calling you to worldliness. And Paul is saying, when you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature is constantly vying for your attention and is trying, trying its hardest. The, 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 the world is constantly trying to vie for your attention and affection to try and begin to compare yourself to others. And, and worse than that, begin to behave in such a way that is at odds with the purposes of God in your life. And Paul says in verse 17, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. These things do not mutually exist together in harmony. You cannot be a half Christian. You cannot be a little bit godly and a little bit worldly. It's all or nothing with the call of Christ. And he goes on. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now that's really important. Paul is saying, and especially in this age and era, where we say this a lot in post-modernity, you do you. You know, what do you want? You know, what sexuality kind of tickles your fancy? What gender do you want to be? You do you. You do you. Don't worry about anyone else. You do you. But Paul says, he says, um, you are not. He says, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. What you want is irrelevant to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
what you want is not a good barometer for the things you should pursue with your life, money, and time. I know that's a really untrendy message to say, but the gospel isn't a message that just fits in to your life sweetly, like a, like a nice little, I don't know what it is, but something that just brings a bit of gloss to your life. The gospel demands, demands a decision to go full tilt after Jesus. Full tilt. This isn't to say that you have bad days, but all I'm talking about is there is this heart posture that says Jesus all or nothing, all or nothing. So you are not to do whatever you want. It's horrible to hear, isn't it? Because I like doing what I want. I'm really good at doing what I want. Really good at it. You know, over the last four weeks, we've been doing a series, Christians Anonymous. And really, the big picture is this. You're number two. You're not number one. In fact, in some ways, it'd be better if you're number three, number four, number five. But don't make yourself number one, because you are not to do whatever you want. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, that's really important. Because what Paul is trying to say is, actually, when you're led by the Spirit, you live a life of total freedom. You live a life of liberty. But when you're led by the Spirit, you no longer crave the things that the world is pushing your way. There is this natural, um, or supernatural I should say, because it doesn't originate with you. It originates with God. It originates with the Holy Spirit. There is this hunger and appetite to pursue the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying, he's like, you are not under the law when you are led by the Spirit. You see, the law... As important as it was in the Old Covenant, it created a set of limitations and restrictions and the spirit of religiosity or religion craves and it strives to contain you into this religion, religious kind of shape. And this is where nominalism falls in, where you just go to church, where you just tick the boxes, where, where, where you go to church but you don't become the church. You attend a Christian community but you are not a part of the Christian community. And Jesus and Paul in this moment is ultimately saying, like, when you are led by the Spirit, you're not under this this heavy old system of rituals and traditions which God designed in order to show people that they needed Jesus. The law was never enough in itself to save people. It, It came up totally short. All it was supposed to do was say, hey, you want to become righteous? This is what it looks like. It's impossible. You need a mediator. You need a high priest. You need a sacrificial lamb. You need someone to come on your behalf, and that person is Jesus Christ. Praise God. He says, when you're led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Here they are. They're obvious. (laughs) This is really helpful. In a day and age where things are far more ambiguous and nuanced and gray, and we don't want to nail our colors to the mast... Paul really helps us out, just in case we're wondering, what does the sinful nature look like? Sexual immorality. Anything that falls short of God's design for sexuality is sexually immoral, and it is part of the sinful nature. So sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. What is debauchery? It is a hedonistic, self-indulgent pursuit of things that pleasure you. Okay, It's idolatry. Last week I was talking about how idolatry isn't just kind of Egyptian gods. You can make yourself an idol. It's witchcraft. In other words, it's to do with cursing people. It's to do with hating people. It's uh, hatred, discord, jealousy, 
fits of rage. Like, you know, I'm finding this really challenging, and we should be. Like, because you may go, well, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't think I'm sexually immoral. Well, that's brilliant. But do you ever get angry unreasonably? Thank you, Anthony, for your honesty. I love the fact you come to church, mate. It's brilliant. Because I do too. I do too. Jealousy. Social media kind of stokes this flame, doesn't it? Jealousy. Because it's the spirit of comparison, constantly comparing one to another. Selfish ambition, which is where you prize your ambitions and your agendas over other people and, and God's agenda, ultimately. Factions, so division, envy, drunkenness. Does anyone ever get drunk? Don't answer, please. Orgies. Well, this is weird, isn't it, in the Bible? Can you believe this is in the Bible? Orgies, so parties that are of a uh, sexual nature that don't speak to faithfulness but speak to indulging your flesh and your desires and the like. Paul says, I warn you, here we go, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. Wow. Surely that must be Old Testament. Because my Jesus is much nicer than that. I don't, know where that came from. I don't know why the Yorkshire accent had anything to do with that. Ah, Jesus. But, it, you know, sometimes it's just like this. We need a correct perspective again of understanding that God is a holy God. And he calls us to a holy standard. Now, now, you cannot do it in and of yourself. You cannot be perfect. But in Christ, you are made righteous. But that righteousness should cause you to live righteously. It's important. So I often try to make this distinction because I think sometimes it evades our understanding that you don't live a holy, a holy life to be made right with God because you can't do it. But you get made right with God and then you can live a holy life. And you get made right with God through the person of Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ to be your mediator. And he says, like, if you live like this with unrepentant sin where you are pursuing the urges of the sinful nature you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. He goes on, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to unpack these over the next few weeks, so I'm not going to do it now. And he says, against these things, there is no law. You are free to be as gentle as you want to be. You are free to be as kind and loving as you want to be. You are free to be as faithful as you want to be. And it's weird because all of those things sound far less exciting than sin. But that's where real life exists. As we are transformed through the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ, living a life of joy, of love, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of self-control, all these things, there is no restriction, there is no limit. It's an amazing thing. And Paul goes on in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. That's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to acknowledge you're broken. You've got to acknowledge you need Jesus. And you crucify your sinful nature with its passions and desires. Verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So, Paul is saying, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, the reason this is important is because Paul is trying to speak to the intentionality of Christian living. 
Sometimes I think we miss sell PPI when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, that by receiving the Holy Spirit, we will just naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit. And there may be a measure where that's true, where things become more natural. But in my experience, and from what I understand of the Scriptures, actually this is about a set of behaviors that we begin to practice whether we feel like it or not. It's what it means when we talk about staying in step with the Holy Spirit. Staying in step with the Holy Spirit, intentionally aligning ourselves to the Spirit's kind of plans and purposes and the Spirit's kind of rhythm, if you like. Now, the reason that we're doing this series is because about four weeks ago, just as I'd finished putting together a rough idea of Christians Anonymous, I had a picture in my spirit, and I believe it was a prophetic picture, and it was a picture of a land that was decimated um, by war and fire. And, um, you know, if you watch some of the images coming over from Ukraine, you can kind of relate to some of that imagery. It's almost like this post-apocalyptic landscape. I'm thinking about the fire at Camford Heath a couple of weeks ago that kind of just decimated everything in its path. And it just left this kind of burnt-out land, this dry land, this arid land. And it will become fruitful again, but not straight away. It will take time. And I had this picture of this landscape that was totally decimated and burnt out. And just by looking at it, I felt hopeless. I felt like, it, I, felt like I was watching it in black and white, just like it was um, hopeless and lifeless and just despairing and depressing and discouraging. And, and I cast my eye to the right, and I saw this compound. And it was a compound that had um, brick walls, cobble brick wall around it. And in the compound, there was tree after tree of bountiful fruit-producing crop. Absolutely glorious. It was colorful. It was an assault on the senses because in a landscape that was burnt out and dry and black and white, all of a sudden my eyes were seeing all of these trees that were producing fruit bountifully. And it was just a marvel to look at. I was like, that is so beautiful. That is so amazing. And I just felt prophetically it was a picture of what the church is called to be. That actually when we look at society and culture, it's decimated, it's burnt out, it is hopeless. But actually what we should be seeing across the land is churches that are producing bountiful fruit. Because what's the amazing thing about an orchard? An orchard doesn't just happen. An orchard is an intentional defined and designed space where a farmer would sow seed in this designated area and irrigate it, saturate it with water, and make sure that it leads to a good yield of fruit. And I was just thinking, Lord, can we be that? Can we be that in 2022, in a land and in a time that is just decimated by fire and war and culture wars and um, deceit and lies where it's seemingly hopeless, can we be a fruit-producing orchard filled with believers who are intentional about aligning, to their, aligning their behaviors to the reality of who Christ is, producing fruit in season and out of season constantly for the glory of God and for the benefit of the world around us. And I was thinking as I had that picture of Psalm 1. Look at Psalm 1 with me. Listen to this, Psalm 1. The writer of Psalms, this is a song originally. It says, blessed are those, happy are those who do not walk in step with the 
What does it say? Wicked. So it's interesting. It's like we're seeing this contrast now between Galatians 5, walking in step with the Holy Spirit, and this here, where the psalmist says, blessed are those, happy are those who do not walk in step with the wicked. Now, there is a wicked agenda at play in the world that is riddled with lies. I believe the father of it is Satan. It sounds heavy and it's intense, but it's just, I just believe it to be unbelievably obvious. And the pressure for us as believers is to dilute what we believe, dilute what we say so that we can walk in step with it without offending anyone and without compromising our popularity and our influence. And so whilst you may experience the affirmation of people, you will not experience the affirmation of God. Whilst you experience the blessing of the world, you won't experience the blessing of God. The blessing of God comes when you walk in step with the Spirit, not in step with the wicked. So the psalmist continues, Blessed are those, happy are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Verse 2, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. People who delight in the word of God. Verse 3, listen to this. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. I don't really like that translation because if you look in the Hebrew, it basically says in all seasons. So the next line makes sense then which yields its fruit in all seasons and whose leaf does not wither, listen to this, whatever they do prospers. Wow. So uh, just a quick poll. If you want to be blessed, just raise your hand. Yeah, okay, okay, you can put it down. If you want to know prosperity, raise your hand. Oh, less people for prosperity. I have both hands for that, then I'll take your prosperity too. I'm cool with that. Sometimes we think prosperity is a dirty word. It isn't. It's a biblical word. It's a glorious word. It's far encompassing. It's far more than money and wealth. That could be a part of it, but it's to do with your soul well-being. It's to do with your mental health. I want to be prospering. I want to be prospering. You know, but the way to knowing the blessing of God and prosperity of God is by not walking in step with the wicked. So you may think by making a stand... That maybe you're going to lose credibility, influence, or money, or something. Maybe you lose your job. I'm not talking about being an idiot. I'm not talking about being a chump. I'm talking about being a person of conviction. A person who stands by what they believe when it's popular and when it's unpopular. A person who meditates on the law of God, on the word of God, day and night. Those kind of people are like streams, like trees planted by streams. Think about the context of Psalms. It's like a Middle East area. It is a desert area. Like any greenery you see in the Middle East, even in Israel, and there is some green areas, it's because there's been some intentional irrigation systems put in place, typically by the Romans, in order to saturate a place with water. But ultimately, we're talking to something that is a desert landscape for the most part. And the psalmist is saying that when you walk not in step with the wicked, but delight in the law of God. He says, you are like a tree planted by a stream. There is a never-ending supply of goodness coming your way. A never-ending supply of nutrition, nutrients, of, um, uh, I don't know what it's called scientifically, but all the goodness in water. What's it, photosynthesis? 
Plants need water. That's about as much as I did. I think I got to year nine, then I started skiving school, which you must never do, Caleb, all right? Just saying. Just saying. It's not acceptable. I was lost. I needed Jesus. Um, but, like, I just get this picture. I want to be like a tree, not just planted, and that's really important that we're planted people, but that we're planted by streams. Now, now it's, it's interesting because streams is a symbol, particularly in the Old Testament, and a picture of the Holy Spirit. You know, you probably remember that song from when it, um, Streams of Living Water, does anyone remember that? No, I'm not singing it, because it's awful. But let me just show you something. John 4, John 4, we see something really interesting happening, because we see this sim- symbolism of the Holy Spirit being like the river, Holy Spirit being like um, a stream of life. And so we see this picture of a tree being planted by the stream, but in John 4, we see something really cool. Now, John is in the New Testament, so this is where things are beginning to change in light of Christ. Um, John 4, let me give you the exact reference, verse 13 to 14, he's dealing with the woman at the well, the desperate housewife. Um, In verse 13, she's come to a well for a drink, And Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Like there's a limitation on natural water, like you'll thirst again. He says, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. He says, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water or streams of living water welling up to eternal life. So there's something really interesting here. In Psalm 1, we see that living a righteous life and delighting in the word of God causes us to be like a stream Uh, like a tree planted by the streams. But Jesus, who is speaking of a future day, because he says, yet a time is coming. I think it's in John 4, 23. He says, if you receive my water, it will become a stream flowing from within. So, So there's this contrast between the old and the new covenant, the old and the new testament. In other words, if you're new to church, the bit before Jesus and the bit after Jesus, okay? And the contrast is this, is that in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit could come upon you for a moment and cause you to do something supernatural. But the implication of the New Covenant and the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit comes within you and causes you to know a bountiful, limitless supply of the presence of God flowing from within. Isn't that amazing? Like, and, and if you're struggling to go, is it really the same? I came across this and I thought it's kind of helpful because I think, you know, back the Bible up with the Bible because that's just a strong place to be. But Isaiah, listen to this, 44, verse 3 to 4, and we see these two ideas prophetically come together. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking under the unction of God. He says, this is God speaking to the people in Israel. He says, for I will pour water... On the what? The thirsty lands and what? And streams on the dry ground. Okay. So is he talking metaphorically? Is he talking about rain like last night? Is he talking about that stuff? But listen to the connection he makes here. I will pour out my... On your... And my... On your... They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees... By flowing streams. We see a direct connection 
here that God is speaking to the people of Israel that like, I want to pour out my water on the dry land like my spirit on your descendants. This is really the essence of Pentecost. Because up until Acts 2, what we see is the Holy Spirit come and go, or the Holy Spirit hovering as per the creation narrative that we read in Genesis. But come Acts 2, what we see is the Holy Spirit come upon and come within and stay. Now that's the invitation. Now, what I like to think about in relation to this passage and this theme this morning is like, in order to grow an orchard, you need to saturate the ground with water. And in the same way, if we want to produce the fruit of the Spirit, and we want to live in the abundance of the Holy Spirit, and we want to know blessing and the prosperity of God, then we must saturate the ground of our hearts with the Holy Spirit. It's really important that we understand that. Acts 1, I'm not actually going to read the Pentecost passage today, um, just because I, I just didn't feel led, to be honest. But Acts 1, this is Luke capturing an idea, observing or reporting on what Jesus did in verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, this was Jesus post the cross and post the resurrection, okay? But before the ascension, Jesus was eating with his disciples and he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Okay? For John baptized with water. Everyone say with water. Okay? And it's a baptism of repentance. And it's a brilliant baptism. And if you're not baptized, you should really want to be baptized. It is your logical next step in Christ, okay? And we've got a baptism coming up in a couple of weeks. So a great opportunity. It says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Total immersion. Baptized, baptizer in Greek means to be fully immersed. Okay, not a sprinkling of, but a total immersion. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you've received the baptism of John, of water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, to this point, the early church had failed to leave the building because they were scared. They were scared that what happened to Jesus would happen to them. But Jesus, on this occasion, he's saying, listen, in a few days, you're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now, we're a Pentecostal church, which means that we don't believe that this Pentecostal moment was a one-off hit and run. It, it wasn't just something that happened, and then it happened for those disciples, those apostles. But we believe that it's such a significant component of the Christian life that every single Christian is invited and entitled to a Pentecost moment. In other words, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's so crucial that in verse 8, Jesus says, you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That you cannot be an effective witness without the dunamis coming upon you. The Holy Spirit is, like I say at the start, is not an optional side to the Christian meals like chips at McDonald's. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is everything to the Christian. 
And the invitation here is, and this is one of the hardest things, and I think it, it speaks to where we need to go as a church and what we'll do tonight. Jesus' words say, wait for the gift. Wait for the gift that I've promised. And, um, you know, as a Pentecostal church, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. As for Corinthians, we believe in the speaking of tongues and believe in the, spirit, the, the gift of prophecy and the words of knowledge. And um, this week, actually, in our small groups, we've got a brilliant video. I talked to my dad about his story of coming into the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the 60s, which is just so cool. And now he got booted out of church. It's so funny <laughs> for me. <laughs> but, you know, just the fact that, like, he came out of the strict Baptist setting received the Holy Spirit, and he knew he could no longer just go back to nominalism. Like, he just knew that, oh, well, well, this is a game changer. And so the leaders of the uh, Grace Baptist Church says, you know, if you want to pursue that spirit stuff, it ain't here. And Dad was like, all right, cool, well, see you later. And, you know, built and planted a church in the Midlands, which is cool, which is a church I grew up in. Um, but he shared some of that story this week. But it speaks to this idea that the Holy Spirit... Isn't, doesn't necessarily make you popular because it can cause you to do things that you don't want to do in your own flesh. It can cause you to almost step into places that seem ridiculous or do things that seem illogical because the Holy Spirit is supernatural. It's beyond natural cognitive reason to go, oh yeah, that makes total sense. In fact, my predecessor, Brian, used to say often to see the Holy Spirit do the miraculous, you have to do the ridiculous. And I think that's a good, good idea right there. And so ultimately... This is a kind of intro to the series, and we're going to be unpacking these, these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. How do we become a more loving people? How do we become a joyful people? And it is supernatural, and it is spiritual, but at the same time, I didn't want to miss an opportunity to just say to you as the church, like, without the Holy Spirit, good luck. Good luck resisting the sinful nature without the Holy Spirit. Good luck. Good, good, luck. good luck kind of being witnesses to the ends of the earth without the Holy Spirit. Good luck praying for people who need a desperate heaven intervention without the Holy Spirit. And there's this illustration that I just want to show you just quickly. Props always go badly for me, but I'm going to do it anyways. And it's already going badly. Look at this. I always instantly regret as soon as I do this, but I just think you need to... Let's make that more awkward. That when we come to the Spirit of God, like some people argue, and I think there's valid, is that when you become a Christian, you are filled with the Spirit. And I think you receive the Spirit when you become a Christian. I do think you receive the Spirit. But I don't think it's a Spirit that, um, I, I don't think it's just a measure of the Holy Spirit that just sustains you for all the days of your life. I think there's a moment where you receive um, the Spirit of God, just as per, per John 20, I think it is, John 20, where Jesus breathes, on the whole, breathes the Holy Spirit onto the disciples, but yet says to them at the same time, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So I believe there is something that happens upon conversion, but there's also a moment, I think, where we are called, and there's a pot of water here that you can't see, and if I tilt it two more, that's gonna get, you're going to get baptized again, basically. Um, where we come to Jesus in hunger and thirst, and we are baptized in the spirit we're baptized saturated in the presence of God in the Holy Spirit and sometimes I think we go well you know I was baptized back in the 80s at like spring harvest there was a moment you know I don't know um Jeff Lucas was preaching and I went forward for prayer and I received the Holy Spirit and um you know so that was my moment 
But Paul speaks about this idea of keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. This ongoing kind of commitment. And this is really important. Have you got a pen, Luby, that I can ruin? Is that all right? Sorry. Because actually in life, thank you, in life, we are not like this. We are like this. Like that, 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 that's the reality, I believe, of the Christian life is that actually we, we may feel like it's like that sometimes, but you take a knock on the road and you, you hit some hardship or you, you, you become a bit apathetic and you are no longer pursuing God. And there's this, or you have a fight with a spouse. That never happens, does it, Luby? Never, ever. You know, you have a fallout with the kids. It never happens, does it, Caleb? We're just always harmonious and full unity. You know, or, or you hit some money troubles or some work troubles. And this idea that like, the Holy Spirit, is, it's almost like, not that it's leaking out of us, but in a way, that's horrible, it's leaking out of us. Because the Holy Spirit comes as we posture ourselves in a way to submit ourselves under God's mighty hand, to meditate on the law, to seek his face, and I believe the Holy Spirit works more like this, that actually... And it's a shame that this jog is, it does, it just, it should be a hose pipe, really. The Holy Spirit just keeps like, our cup flowing over. This is how we begin to affect the environments around us. That was so weird. <laughs> I really needed to think this one through. Um, but multiple people like, are affected when we are overflowing in the Holy Spirit. Like dry people. People who come and are around us or whatever, receiving kind of the overflow of the Holy Spirit out of our kind of overflow. It's an amazing thing. But there's just this kind of invitation, even this morning and tonight in particular, where we're going to make time for people to receive the Holy Spirit afresh. But don't just make it a one-off moment. Make it a day-to-day posture, a 24-7 hunger and thirst appetite to just receive the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we'll see the fruit of the Spirit begin to blossom, but also the gifts of the Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit is everything to us. I want to invite you just to stand where you are, and I would ask myself to play keyboard, but that would be so weird, so I'm not going to do that. This morning, we don't need fancy music and we don't need stuff. We just need a a heart that is receptive to what God wants to do. Like I say, tonight we're going to meet at 6 p.m. at Corf Mullen and we're going to create space to give this more time and spend time praying together come with a posture of humility and hunger to receive the gifts of the Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never really felt a moment where you receive the Spirit. And even in small group this week, we're going to be talking about it more. It's going to be a great week. But I just want to kind of conclude this morning's service by just, I guess, coming before the Lord together as a community and asking the Lord to pour His Spirit on us. Now I know maybe some of you don't want that, and you can sit down, that's, that's fine, like, I don't want you to feel awkward. But I just think if there is even like just 10, 20 people who just have that appetite to really press into God in this time, to come with a posture of humility and hunger 
and saying, God, whatever you want, God, I'm yours. Then I do believe that the future is bright for Sunny Hill, for the church, for this area. You don't need to come wearing a mask. You don't need to come pretending you're something you're not. You need to just be real before Jesus. Just like the disciples, they were in a room fearing for the future. But Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew he was going to fill them with his spirit. He was going to baptize them in the spirit. And that it was going to cause such an impact that it would cause them to leave that room that they'd found so comfortable. And so this morning, Lord, or this afternoon, whatever the time is, Jesus, we just, we just thank you. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you so much for that moment 2,000 years ago when your spirit poured out on the church, the church's birthday. Lord God, thank you, Father, that the Holy Spirit came in power and he empowered men and women to do amazing exploits for you. Father, thank you, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit came and caused natural people to do supernatural things, caused ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And Lord, we know, Lord God, that this is the purpose of the church. And so, Father, we don't see ourselves as different from that early church, God. We see ourselves as brothers and sisters just in another time, in another moment, but still in a context which is desperately anti-Christ and a context that is so dry and burned out and a culture that is crying out for truth. But Jesus, in ourselves and on our own, we don't have the answers. We don't have the goods. We're not enough without you. And so Jesus, to right now, God, we just come with a posture of humility and hunger and say, Holy Spirit, would you come upon your church afresh, Lord God? Would you cause gifts of the Spirit to be just poured out on people? Would you release the ministry of tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge, discernment, distinguishing of spirits, Lord God? Those spiritual gifts that, are, that equip us and empower us to really speak to the spiritual climate of the time in which we live. Father, would you just release that in Jesus' name, God? Over this series, even now, Father, would you do that, God? God, those who have a slight inkling towards prophecy, Father, would you just pour pure petrol on it, Lord God? Cause that fire to burn brighter and brighter, God. Father, prophetic voices to be raised. God, apostolic calls to be released, God. God, even for the next gen, Lord, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists. God, I just pray, I pray, Father, for just your Holy Spirit to come to, to create fruit in us to pull gifts or give us gifts, but also to give us supernatural calls, calls that we cannot manufacture, calls to ministry. Father, I just pray, God, you, you, Lord, you're looking for a church in this hour, Father, that won't just acknowledge the Holy Spirit, but a church that will submit to your Holy Spirit, a church that will say, Holy Spirit, do what you want to do, whatever you want to do. So, Lord, we just... We just come with humility and hunger this morning and thank you for this opportunity to stand as brothers and sisters in Christ, the community of God. Father, we don't know what it means for our future, but Jesus, I pray, God, that you would just build in us a, a tenacity and a, and a steadfastness to wait for the Holy Spirit, to just, to just lean on you and just say, God, I ain't going until you're coming. And so, Father, I just pray now. Tonight, Father, this week in small groups and also through this Orchard series, Lord God, and summer camp, Lord, all that's happening over the next little while, Father, God, we just want to say from the outset, Lord God, this is your church. You are the pastor. Jesus, this is your church. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and move amongst your people in a way that you want to, Father, embolden us, empower us, equip us, encourage us for your purposes, for your purposes, in Jesus' name, amen. So you are invited tonight.
at 6 p.m. we're going to be praying, seeking the Lord. There may be some worship as well, but really the goal is just to wait on the Holy Spirit and see what he wants to say and do amongst us. And um, I take my kids, so if you want to bring your kids, you can. Um, but ultimately, this isn't just a one-off thing. This is something, this is a posture that we have to commit to daily, not just when we're together, but when we're apart, just committing to receiving the Holy Spirit constantly because we acknowledge that ultimately we are a leaky vessel and uh, easily led. But we want to stay in step with the Spirit, not with the world. I want to hand over to Louise. And we're going to conclude our service um, as Louise comes up. Um, but if you want to...